Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. He's been, he and his wife have been here in LaGrange before, and they're back. They've been here for a few days, and we've had a great time of fellowship with them yesterday for lunch. Jennifer and I did, but uh, Rick Rubottom, his wife Carolyn, are with us from North Valley Baptist Church in Columbia Falls, Montana. You can read a little bit about them inside your worship guide, but I, I tell you this, what I love about Rick, he has a heart to see people come to know Jesus. His passion is evangelism. And most of the times he's come to preach, he's had a strong evangelistic kind of appeal. And I no doubt he'll share the gospel with us this morning, but God's given him a message that I just believe is directly from the Lord for him to bring to us today about hope. And I know that your hearts are willing and ready to receive that message. We all need hope. That's the message that we're to bring to the world around us, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to invite Rick Rebottom to come and preach God's word to us. And uh, he is no tenor voice like me. He's got a deep, resounding bass voice, and so I can't wait to hear his voice. It's a joy to talk to. He loves Jesus. Let's welcome him today to First Baptist Church. Well, it is really good to be here. Um, I am blessed to have a partnership church, as you all have partnered with us over the years, uh, such as this. What, what a, a huge encouragement uh, that you all have been to us. I, I, Brother Cade, we got to know he and Jennifer a little bit yesterday afternoon. What a blessing. I love your pastor. Y'all did a good job. You know, I, I love Dr. Baxter too, but y'all just, you know how to pick them, I tell you. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's great. And uh, he too has a heart for, for lost people and and it's good to see that. Um, I want to uh, uh, have you open to the 33rd Psalm this morning. And um, I have a message, as uh, Pastor Cade said, a, a message on hope. And I think it's a message that is greatly needed. But first, I want to share just a little bit, again, a word of thanks. I want to thank First Baptist on the Square. Uh, that you are a mission-minded church, and you send people out, and you send people uh, to places like Montana and others as well. And I'm especially thankful for your ministry to North Valley Baptist Church and to Carolyn and I personally. Um, you took us on as a mission in 1998, and since that time, 123 people have come to know Christ as Savior that have come into our church. And I've had opportunity to lead others that are not members of our church, but uh, 123 have come to know Christ. And since you took us on and a, as a mission, you've made it possible for me to leave secular work and pastor North Valley Baptist full-time. You've sent workers to help with vacation Bible school and music camps and marriage and finance seminars, along with construction crews to help us build our new worship center. You've helped uh, uh, minister to Carolyn and I personally with your faithful uh, prayer and financial support. And when I had cancer, you prayed for me, you called me, you sent cards, and you provided a place for me to rest uh, during a three-month sabbatical. And I, again, I just got to say, I love this church. I tell you, I, Kate, you're blessed. I don't know of a better church anywhere. 
Uh, I love my own church as well, but uh, you all are, are a tremendous blessing. Um, I, I don't know that I could have stayed with uh, ministry there at North Valley Baptist Church were it not for your faithful support. And come this June, Carol and I will have been there for 25 years. So, yeah. Well, now in our time remaining, I want to talk to you about finding hope for the future and how it is that we find hope for the future. But let me, first of all, uh, just wet things down a little. All right, <clears throat> let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we gather in your presence to honor you, the great and wonderful, merciful God who loves us deeply. If we just doubt that, all we need to do is look to Calvary and look and, and realize that you sent your only begotten Son. And uh, we look at the sacrifice that was made for our sins, and we know that you love us. And we thank you for that love. And we're here today to honor you, great and mighty God, who's worthy of our worship and our praise. And as we've worshiped you in song and re reading of Scripture and through giving of tithes and offerings, we come to this time where we would open your word and, and uh, we pray that uh, we'd put aside any outside distractions that we might have had. And then we come into this place and we pray that we'd not quench your Holy Spirit in any way, but allow him to speak to our hearts. Father, uh, let us Let's be receptive, and then let us be obedient as your Spirit speaks to us through the living Word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every morning we turn on the news and we wonder what new crisis we're faced, going to be faced with today. We're living in on, with ongoing threats of terrorism and nuclear war, possibly with Korea, and a year and a half ago, over 500 people were wounded and 59 found dead from the shooting in Las Vegas. We've been plagued with shootings in our schools and in our churches and in various places of worship. And if that were not enough, millions of people continue to have their personal information stolen by computer hackers. Natural disasters seem to be more frequent and of greater magnitude. All of these things leave us asking, why are all of these things happening? And is there any hope for the future? And let me affirm this great truth, and that is this. For the believer, the Christians, for those who live in a love relationship with God, you are never without hope. You are never without hope. Please understand that uh, today. So, and the key thought for the message today is this, and I want to answer this question. In these unsettling times, where will we find hope for our future? In Psalm 33, we're going to cover the whole psalm, and I'm going to try to keep us moving along uh, today. Psalm 33, beginning at verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. 
Praise the Lord with the harp and make music to him on the ten-string lair. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justness. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters, into, uh, waters of the sea into jars and puts them in storehouses. That just simply means he established boundaries for them. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. We'll stop there for a moment. Listen, our hope. Where do we find hope for the future? Our hope is found in our, crea our creator and in his character. Uh, verse 4 tells us that our Lord is faithful in all that he does. And this verse speaks of the character of our God. We may at times be unfaithful in our covenant with God, but God is faithful in all that he does. And we tend to wander at times in our faith, but God is always faithful to woo us and to draw us back where we belong. And the psalmist said that God's word is right and true. In other words, you can count on it. It's reliable. God has given us his word, the Bible, and we can build our lives on it. It's a very sad thing for a person to dedicate their life to a religion and a belief system and then find that, that their faith is not based on the truth of the Word of God. We can see the goodness uh, and the holiness of God and His character by what He loves. You see that there in verse 5. God loves righteousness and justice. This verse also tells us that the earth is full of his unfailing love. 1 John 4, 8 says that he that loveth not, God, uh, know, loveth not God knoweth not God, for God is love. God loves righteousness and justice. This verse also tells us that the earth is full of his unfailing love. Understanding the nature of God's character gives us hope. It gives us hope because God's actions toward us will always be in keeping with his nature. It's important to note that this psalm is directed to the righteous, to those who belong to God and share in his righteousness. Knowing these things about God should give every Christian hope. Knowing God's character and that he is faithful in all that he does should cause us to sing songs of praise to him, as the psalmist says here. And uh, he says uh, we ought to shout for joy. Our hope also comes as we revere God as our creator. You see that in verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people revere him. That word revere means to respect, to regard him worthy of great honor. The psalmist is telling us here that we should not only revere God for the worthiness of his character, but because he is our creator. Verse 6 says that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And verse 9 said that he spoke and it came to be. And what the psalmist is saying here is that God's act of 
creation was pretty much effortless. The realization of that truth ought to cause us to revere him. Now, how does that give us hope? gives us hope because God could pretty much do anything and everything that he said he would do. God has a plan and a purpose for this world and all of his creation and everything is going to his plans and purposes. And the next few verses tell us this. Let's look at verse 10. We're down to verse 10 now. <clears throat> The Lord foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the Lord, the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind, and from his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army, and no warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. <clears throat> so we see our hope is also found in God's sovereign plan for mankind. We see in verses 10 and 11 there that God has a sovereign plan for the nations of the world. You know, we need to remember that when we see things happening in this world that, that dishearten us, that discourage us, that God's not up in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh my, what am I going to do? None of what's happening in this world has come as a surprise to God. We see that he's in control of the nations of the world. He's sovereign over it all. In the book of Daniel, we learn that God has a sovereign plan for all the nations of the world. In the second chapter tells us that when we see this when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great statue with the head of gold and representing Babylon and the, the, the chest and, and all of those uh, parts of that statue represented different kingdoms. And we've seen those kingdoms rise and fall just exactly as God said it would happen. So, we also learned that we're living in times of the Gentiles. And when the last Gentile is saved, the, world, uh, the Lord will again bring his people Israel to the forefront. And Israel will believe in Jesus their Messiah. They'll realize what they had done uh, to, the, to the Messiah, to the Savior, and they will repent and be brokenhearted and come to Christ. But what about our nation? What about the United States of America? Where's the hope for the country in which I live? Verse 12 says, blessed is the nation whose God is a Lord. There was a time when our country was recognized as a Christian nation and our founding fathers proclaimed their faith and founded the Constitution on biblical principles. And those who came to this country, they came seeking religious freedom. They were Christians. And the Bible was the standard upon which our laws were established and it was recognized as, the Bible was recognized as the Word of God. And it was a moral compass for our nation. It was to keep us on track and in line with God. 
And I regret to say that this is no longer true of our nation. And if there's any hope for the future of America, it will be for her to return to the God that she once knew. So what happened to America? How did she get so far away from God? Go with me to Jeremiah, the fourth chapter, or eighth chapter, excuse me. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet. He was brokenhearted over his nation. He saw a nation in moral decline, and it grieved him. And God, God spoke to him, and God used him to uh, bring uh, uh, his word to him, the word of, of judgment and punishment, if they would not turn around and repent. And so at verse 4, we find, say to them, this is the... This is what the Lord says. When a people fall down, do they not get up? When someone returns away, do they not return? Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to receipt, to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, What have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse, charging in the battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove and the swift and thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pens of the, pen of the scribe has handled it falsely? Look at verse 11. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. Do you see that? He was broken over his nation that was in, in, in moral decline. So what happened to America is the same thing that happened to Israel. We have wandered away from God the same way that Israel had pursued uh, her own course, chasing after sin, it says, like a horse charging into battle. And uh, pastors and the church are responsible because just like the lying pen of the scribes, they are handling many of them, not all, but many of them are handling the Word of God falsely. Listen, pastors are called, ministers are called to preach the gospel. They're to look at this book as the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And they're to stand in the pulpit, and they're to preach it as such, and they're to preach the whole truth, not part of it, not just tickle ears. They're to preach the whole gospel. And listen, they are not doing it. Many are not doing it. And I wouldn't, that's not true of your pastor or your former pastor, I know that. But many pulpits today, the Word of God is not being held up and preached as it ought to be preached. You know, the church is like the watchman on the wall in Ezekiel, warning the wicked of his sin. And the church is not uh, doing it because pastors are not standing and preaching the truth. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. Uh, uh, Carol and I like to watch The Voice. Uh, I'm liking it less and less sometimes. There was a, uh, you know how they do the, um, 
the, the little uh, background of the person that's going to be s just before they're about to sing. And they had on there a, a fellow, and they introduced him like this. Uh, they said he, he is a worship leader in his mother's church, but he's a drag queen at night. He's a worship leader by day, but a drag queen at night. Oh, listen to me. It ought not be so. We are called to holiness. Amen? Listen, God said, the Lord said, be holy, for I am holy. And when God established a covenant with Israel, his desire was to bring unto him a, a holy people. And he said, you should be a nation of kings and priests. You'll be my witnesses. They were to represent him in holiness to a lost world. And, and in doing so, people would come to know the one and only true living God. And listen, Israel failed miserably in that covenant. And now we see he established a new covenant. And he established that covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And uh, in that new covenant, we, he gave us also his Holy Spirit. So we, we had this help to enable us to carry out what he's called us and commissioned us to do. And I want to say to you that many today are failing miserably because they're wa not walking in that love relationship and that covenant with their God. We are to be a holy vessel unto God. And thereby people will know that we're different from the world. There's a holy God. We need to walk in holiness. And listen, <clears throat> pastors are not preaching the truth because people are not willing to listen to sound doctrine. Paul told Timothy there's coming a time when people will not listen to sound doctrine. They'll go after a tickling of their ears. And that's exactly what's happening today, is it not? People don't want to hear the whole gospel and the truth. But listen, God put the church here to be salt and light. And if the church is not being salt and light, what good is it? If the church is not being salt and light, what good is it? You know, God, the, the Lord Jesus said that, but to be cast out. We ought to be salt and light, bringing the light of the gospel to the lost. When salt has that preserving quality to it. Listen. What we see happening in America today are the consequences of a nation whose God is no longer the Lord. God did not cause all the, these terrorists to shoot these people and, or the man in Las Vegas to shoot the people. All he had to do was remove his hand of blessing and protection. And God will not stay where he is not wanted. It is the immorality of our nation that is causing the consequences that we are experiencing today. We have lost our moral compass. And as long as we continue down this path, we will struggle regardless of who we elect as our president. Because our hope is not in our government, our military might, or our president. It has to be, and it is, in our God. That's where our hope lies. Listen. 
Our hope also lies in the condition of our heart. Look at back, we're back in, the, um, go from Jeremiah back to our text now in Psalm. Look at verse 13. From heaven the Lord looks down, and he sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on the, her, on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all and considers everything that they do. Our hope is in the condition of our heart. Our text tells us that God looks down from heaven, he sees and considers everything that man does. He is interested in one thing, and that's the condition of your heart. And you see, we cannot legislate morality. We can pass more gun control laws, but it will not prevent people from killing people if the heart is evil. We should have learned that in Boston. They'll use a pressure cooker or whatever else they can find. Listen, more laws are not the answer. What we need is for people to have a change of heart. We need people to be born again of a new spirit, becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. And our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is God's plan for mankind. We're down to verse 18 in, in this psalm now. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for our God. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So wherever we find hope for our future, our hope in the future is also found in God's unfailing love for us. You look back through this psalm and notice how much it talks about God's love and God's unfailing love. Knowing God's love for us gives us hope. Dear Christian, God loves you deeply. Look with me in the, uh, the book of Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. <clears throat> for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through the, his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, uh, have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the uh, measure of all the fullness of God. Not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Listen, God loves you deeply. The Apostle Paul was saying, I'm praying that you will grasp how deep the love of Jesus Christ is for you. God's love for you is an unfailing love. It's reliable. You can count on the fact that he loves you, listen, whether you are worthy of it or not. You see, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he loves you just as much this week as he did last week 
even though you might have sinned more this week. Not that he approved of your sin, but he still loves you. And our hope needs to be in that kind of love. It is an unfailing love. It is <clears throat> faith in this kind of love that in verse 18 and 19 tells us will deliver us from death. God's unfailing love is not only here to deliver us from eternal death, but it is here to deliver us from the power of sin that causes death, the sin that sucks the life out of us and discourages us. God's unfailing love is there to help you through those difficult times when sin tries to overwhelm you. We just need to trust that what the Scriptures has taught us about God's love is true. My mother had an unfailing love for God. She worked as a, uh, as a nurse, and um, she liked work in the emergency room. <laughs> and that wasn't enough. She went and uh, was hired on at, at the Chino Men's Prison in Chino, California. She was first... Tells, she tells me she was the first female nurse in the men's prison there. And uh, we were visiting, and I, I, uh, I didn't really know what all she did, and she sensed that. And uh, she says, you, you really don't know what, what I do, do you? And I said, well, you, uh, they come to you if they're sick, and you give them medications and that sort of thing. And, and she said, yes, I do that, but that's just part of it. She said, I, um, when I go into work, she said, I bring in, I take in my little black bag and I bring some saran wrap and I set it by the door. And she said, for instance, I get a, I get a call that there's a sticking on the second tier. I like sticking. She said, well, there's gangs in prison and they make weapons. They make knives out of whatever they can find. And she said, uh, they put a hit out on a person and they, they try to take him out. They try to kill him. And so she said, well, I get a call that there's a sick sticking on the second tier. And so she said, I, I wait for the guards, and the guards go out before me, and they go, we go on up, and we make our way to the second tier. When I get there, she said, this man has been stabbed multiple times in the chest. And she said, so I get down there, and she said, I, I prop him up with my, with my knee, and I get this shirt off, and she said, I start wrapping him in saran wrap, because when they puncture the lungs, they can't, they can't, lungs won't hold any air, and that saran wrap will help create a seal uh, and try to keep them long, live long enough for us to stabilize them somewhat and get them to an emergency room. And I'm thinking, oh, that, uh, that greatly increased my prayer life for my mother. I want you to know that. But she loved the Lord, and she believed in His unfailing love. And I said, why, why would you do that? Why would you? She said, that's not all I do. She said, I get to tell some of these inmates about God. I get to share about his love for them. And she said, there's a man that came into my, uh, came up to the uh, nurse station there, and, and he uh, asked me, he said, aren't you afraid? Don't you know that I or one of the inmates in here could kill you? And she said, yes. He said, you're not afraid? She said, no. He said, why? She said, because I know where I'm going. She said, the Bible tells me, she said, I know Jesus is my Savior. And the Bible tells me that he's coming for me. 
It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And she said, I, I told him that. And uh, <clears throat> she said, I know that if I die, I know where I'm going. This isn't home, but I know I'm going home, and I know Jesus is coming for me. And she said, he just slouched, and then he looked up at her, and he said, I don't have any hope like that. I don't have any hope like that. She said, you can have. The same Jesus that forgave me is going to come and take me home, can forgive you and give you a new home. She said that she got to share the gospel with him, and that man prayed and received Christ. And you know, perhaps for the first time in his life, he had a hope like he had never imagined or known before, because she was willing to be a messenger of hope and share with him. My mother retired there from, uh, from the uh, prison. I got a call in my office one day, and my sister was on the phone, and she said, Rick, you need to come quick. She said, I was been at the doctor's office with mom, and mom's got cancer, and they're not giving her long to live. So Carol and I got a flight, and we're headed for California. We get to California, and we get there in the hospital, and we're standing there around her bed, and she said, I want you to do me a favor. I said, what's that, Mom? She said, you know, as a nurse, I, she said, I've got cancer, and this kind of cancer travels up the spine, and I've seen it before, and it travels to the brain. And she said, sometimes I've seen people say things that they don't, never would have said. And she said, you pray that I don't blaspheme my God. She said, please pray that I don't curse God or say anything bad about my God. So I knelt there, and I said, and I prayed, God, please help Mom to honor you in her life and in her death. She's honored you with her life. Let her honor you in death. I prayed that prayer, and she said, now there's something else I want you to do. She said, I, I haven't gotten a will together and I want to get a will together before I die. So when we leave here and we get home, you help me get a will together. And I promised her that I would do that. And as we were talking, she looked off the end of the bed at the, at the wall towards the foot of the bed. And honest to God, she says, I see Jesus. He's come for me. He's, he's right there the, by the big trees. She said, do you see him? I said, no, Mom, I don't see him. She pointed. She said, he's right there. And then pretty soon she said, he's gone. Where did he go? And I said, oh, I was just trying to encourage her, you know. I didn't see him. And I said, oh, Mom, he'll be back. He'll be back. So we went on, and the next day we're in. We're talking again more about the, the will and that sort of thing. And pretty soon she said, she looked again at the, off the foot of the bed towards the wall, and she said, Jesus is back. He's right there by the big tree. And pretty soon she said, he's gone. And you know, I wonder about that. Why? Uh, you know, oftentimes as a pastor, and Pastor Cade, you may have experienced this, and people, for, for a moment when people are, 
are in, in that kind of a situation and they're going to leave this earth. Sometimes you just get a glimpse of the other side in that sense. And I often wonder, why? Why did that happen? And you know what I believe? Mom believed in God's unfailing love for her. He knew that, she knew that he loved her. And I believe he was telling her, showing her that he was going to keep his promise. I believe that he gave her a vision of himself by the tree of life and that he was going to come back for her. And he gave her that great hope in a time of her greatest need. He gave her that hope. I, uh, we went on and we, mom come home and she was in the, she was in a room uh, there at the house and and we, uh, uh, before that, we were going, we were taking care of all this stuff for the will, but she continued to digress to where she, she was in bed and, uh, and ha- had to stay in there. And so we're around the bed, and she said, where's your grandmother? You see, her mother, my grandmother, was still alive. And she said, where's your grandmother? And I said, Mom, she, she doesn't want to come in. We've asked her, but she just doesn't want to come in. And she said, Grandma doesn't want to come in because she's afraid. And she's afraid because she doesn't know my Jesus. She said, Rick, promise me you'll help Grandma know my Jesus. Promise me you'll share with Grandma and you'll help her know my Jesus. And I made my mother that promise. My mom passed on and we're home to be with the Lord. And uh, I'm back in Montana and Carol and I are talking, you know, Carolyn said, you made your mother a promise that you were going to talk to your grandmother about Jesus. And I said, yes, I did. So we made plans over Thanksgiving to go back to California, and we stayed with my sister. And I was a baker by trade, and my sister asked me to bake some pies. And, and uh, she said, listen, I'm going to go to the store while you're doing that, and I'm going to take Grandma with me. So she's on her way to the store, and uh, she comes back, and she said, Rick, you're never going to believe what happened. She said, Grandma was awful quiet on the way to the store. And I asked her, Grandma, what's, a, what's the matter? And she, Grandma said, I'm afraid. Why are you afraid, Grandma? Because I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die, she said. And Cindy said, well, my sister, Cindy said, it just so happens we have somebody at the house that can help you with that. So she come back. We sat on this little wooden love seat that my sister had once my sister shared with me what was going on. And I got to lead my grandmother, 82 years old, to Jesus Christ. She received Christ as her Savior. Why? Because I was willing to be a messenger of hope. My mother had asked me to do something, and I was willing to do that. The, for the first time in my grandmother's life, she knew hope like she had never knew hope before. And she began to get a taste of God's unfailing love for her. Listen, God loves us deeply. You know, this world that we live in may not get any better and is probably going to get worse. But our our hope is not found in this world. It's not found in this world. 
Our hope is abounded in the God who created this world. It's in Him. And as we watch the news and we find the natural disasters continue to increase along with the wars and rumors of wars and the mass murders, let me ask you, where will you find your hope? Where will you find hope? Our hope is uh, for the present and the future is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His unfailing love. Do you see that? The last verse there in Psalm 33, verse 22. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, as we even as we put our hope in you. Listen. <clears throat> our hope for the present and the future is in the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that everything is going according to his plan. And we're going to sing a hymn of invitation in a moment, and it's a time for you to respond to what God has been saying to you through this message. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you're living without hope. And if you're not living in an intimate, personal relationship with God, you are living without hope. Listen. In a moment, they're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I want you to do this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior or you're not sure about that, I want you to be sure. I, want, I just want, want you to come, and, and, and Pastor Kate's going to be here at the front to receive you. And I would just want you to come as we begin to sing. I don't want anyone here to quench God's Spirit today. You know that? Listen, you could quench God's Spirit. You could sit there and know that He's speaking to your heart and say this feeling's going to go away in a moment. And when you do that, you're quenching the Spirit of God. I want you to obey Him today as He speaks to your heart. If, you're not, if you don't know the hope, the kind of hope that my mother knew, my grandmother found, and others have found in Christ Jesus, I want you to come and find it today. I just want you to come to Pastor Cade and take him by the hand and say, I need the hope that that preacher was talking about today. Here's the second part of the invitation. This is for the rest of you. You're having Easter services. This is a good opportunity. Uh, Pastor Cade's been encouraging you to invite people to the Easter service, to the morning service here, the early service, and the other service that'll be at Sweetland. They're going to have a, a baptistry set up, and, and he's going to preach a strong gospel message. And you all just need to invite people to come, to come to those services. And I want you today, the rest of you, I want you to step out and come to your pastor. And if pastor's busy, there'll be someone else here. And you just take them by the hand and say, I'm committing to be a messenger of hope. I'm going to do everything I can to get somebody.